The sermon title is Resolve to Praise My Sovereign God. And uh, as we saw the previous two weeks, this is not an easy place to get to. This sometimes requires some work, some wrestling. And the prophet Habakkuk has been struggling with this, struggling with different aspects of, of, the, of the, the situation that he found himself in. And uh, you might find yourself in the same place. We often find ourselves in this, this challenge, this wrestling, crying out to the Lord, How long, O Lord? How long? So many situations, so many challenges. I was just thinking on the way in, praying for many of you and the different challenges that you have, situations of your life, and, and, and feeling the weight of some of those. It's real. That's one of the reasons why this book is so helpful. It meets us in the real world, in the mess, even in the questions that sometimes remain unanswered in this life. So resolve to praise my sovereign God. I want to read uh, where we left off. Chapter 2, verse 20 of last week was the last uh, part of the address of God to Habakkuk. And this is how he landed all of his presentation. Remember the five woes. It finished with this verse. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Reveals the glory of our God. He is exalted. He is the Holy One. He is God alone. He has right and He reigns. And He is the one before whom, if we were to even get the tiniest glimpse of Him this morning, we would rightly fall silent in humility and bow before Him in reverence. You remember how Habakkuk was preparing himself for the right response to the Lord's rebuke. Remember that, that prayer of his, I want to make sure I'm ready to respond to you in the way that's right. Well, chapter 3 is that response. And friends, it equips us as well. It equips us as to how to respond to the Lord when things come our way that are, well, they may be a little different than we would have hoped. When the doctor comes and says, this is the, the situation and it's not good. Right? When you lose your job, when, when things are going south with a relationship, when, when it feels like everything is crumbling, when the nation that you know feels to have lost its way. I think of what we experienced after 9-11. I think of that unity, that resolve, how we came together. I think of the, the joy in the flying of our flag and the support and the love and care for all those that lost. And I'm like, that feels so far away. How did we get here? The Lord is in His holy temple, my friends. Let all the earth keep silence. And so Habakkuk responds with what I'm calling a fear-filled faith and a humble request. A fear-filled faith and a humble request. Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We begin with verse 1. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, Yahweh. O Lord, he repeats the name again. This is reverence talking. Reverent. O Lord, your work, I do fear. There is a care with the cho choice of these words. He is not just 
coming before the Lord and, 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 and shouting out, where are you? How long, O oh Lord? Look at this. Look at No, these are chosen words. This is the words of care. Words that are reverent. O oh Lord, Yahweh, I have heard the report of you and your work. And I fear. The fear of the Lord is in view. Friends, I'm moving through the book of Proverbs in my devotions right now, and how often the fear of the Lord comes up over and over. If you want wisdom, fear the Lord. If you want discernment and knowledge, fear the Lord. If you want long days on this earth, fear the Lord. And the list goes on and on. If you want to escape the wayward woman, lust and adultery and the, and the, the pit that that is, then fear the Lord. Walk in His way. Fear the Lord. It is the fear of the Lord that is at the very core of our worship, is it not? We fear Him. We see Him for who He is. And we tremble before Him. It is His glory that we fix our eyes upon. Think of Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. It's a different kind of fear than the fear of someone who is uh, coming to harm you. No, this is the fear of reverence and awe. The, the, the fear that actually, it plants confidence in you. you. When you fear Him, you say, well, whom shall I fear out here? It's the fear of the Lord that chases away every other fear. And it blesses your children. The generations are blessed as mom and dad walk in the fear of the Lord. It provides a refuge for the children. Listen to Isaiah 33. O Lord, be gracious to us as we wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. He will fill Zion with justice. Isaiah writes, and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Lest we forget, what treasure do we have? Oh, how easy it is to fall prey to this prosperity gospel mumbo-jumbo. You, you come to God and he gives you everything you want. He wants to make you smiley and rich and happy and Chase all your fears away and, and, and make everything perfect and easy. No, that's not the treasure that we have in Christ. Can he do that? Absolutely he can. What is God's highest commitment to you, Christian? What is his greatest good for you? It is your holiness. It is your holiness. That you be holy. That you be like Jesus Christ that you obey, that you fear and tremble before the Lord. That is the treasure we have in our God. God knows that holiness is the only path to true happiness. And so He moves and works in ways that sometimes surprise us and sometimes overwhelm us. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the treasure that He targets, even in pain even in trial, even when he tests our faith. O Lord, Habakkuk says, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, you, O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years. Revive it in the midst of the years. Make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
What an amazing prayer this is. He prays. These are requests that he's pouring out to the Lord. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. What is it? Your work, O Lord. Come. Come and do your work. It's as if he says this, Come, O Lord, do the work that you did back here. Remember the work that you have done. I've heard of you. I remember the stories. I know what you are capable of. Oh, Lord, come now and do your work. There is a settled acceptance of what God has decreed must come to pass in Judah. That is judgment. That is where the book begins, isn't it? God is answering his prayer. His cry for justice is being answered with the sword of the Babylonians. And that's a hard pill to swallow. Come, Lord, do your work. Do, do, do your work. But, but Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. Now, let's just be careful with these words so we don't misunderstand. The prophet is not reminding God of something that he gets all frothed up in, in anger and wrath and forgets, oh, wait, I'm supposed to show mercy on these people. No, no. God is not overwhelmed like we are. Every act of God is a chosen act. It is an emotive act. He, he does feel. He feels indignation every day. He moves in wrath. Yes, but it's a chosen indignation. He is never out of control. It is what fits the offense, and it is applied in precision such that there is no injustice done ever by him, ever. So why would we pray in wrath, remember mercy? Because God is also glorified in his mercy. Lord, we deserve your wrath. It's as if the prophet says, listen, I agree. We got issues here and you're coming. So in your wrath, which is right and just, show kindness and mercy, compassion. He does believe, as we saw last week, this is not the end of Israel. This is not the cutting off, the, the uh, complete annihilation of God's people. But he prays for mercy. This is an amazing chapter. I, I feel the echo of many psalms in the prophet's words. In fact, I think this prophet knew his psalms well. Think of the time in which he lives. Think of all the writing and all the worship and all the singing that have already been documented and preserved and, and, and handed down. Now he is, he is bringing echoes of, of Isaiah and echoes of King David in Psalms throughout. It's the cry for justice and the cry for mercy that meet. In wrath, O Lord, remember mercy. This is a prayer for us, friends. It's right that we pray this as well. Lord, in your wrath, which is right, which is deserved, remember mercy. As we shine the light of hope, the light of Christ in a dark and increasingly godless land. King David wrote these words. Oh, I love David. I love his heart. I love his, his, his singing, his writing. Be merciful to me. Oh, God, be merciful to me. What is that? What does it say? It speaks of His grace. It's undeserved. Show kindness and mercy. I know what I deserve, but I plead for mercy from you. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings 
I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. You can feel that in Habakkuk's heart too. I know it's coming. I know what is coming. And I will shelter under your wing. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. I preached on one of those psalms. I don't remember which one a few years ago. And and I found a, a hen with a bunch of cute little chickens. What do you call the little chickens? Chicks? That's what they were. Adorable, fuzzy little puffballs, right? And they're sticking their head out from under the wing of their mom, happy and chirping. That's us. That's us. That's where we find ourselves in the midst of the storm, in the trials and the challenges. Don't run out into the, into the dark, into the wind. Shelter in the sovereign one. And sing. Sing. Now let's go on to his remembrances. This is a build-out of, I have heard of your work. I know who you are. I know what you've done. And, and so often will the deliverance from Egypt ring out in the Old Testament. As they look back, remember our God, what he is capable of, what he did. Remember that and don't forget. This is the same God who delivered us from the land of Egypt in power. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. His rays flashed from His hand and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He, he looked and, and shook the nations Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Think of all that is spoken of here. These verses are are just summarizing the power of God. Thinking of Him as the commander of creation. He is the one that creation responds to. What king, what military presence can do what God does here? Who can cause the earth to reel? Who can cause rays of light and and plague and and, and pestilence to to do His will? Our God. Our warrior God. He is unrivaled. He is sovereign over the nations. Whatever they face, they can face it remembering that He is in control. That is a comfort, friends. Friends. He goes on, I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. And then there's a sila in here, which again is just the echo. This This is a... a song of praise to God, a glory to God. A pause and ponder. We don't actually really know what that word means, but it's used often, and I think it's probably like a, a musical interlude of some sort where you just stop and you just consider His glory. Hmm. He goes on. You split the earth with rivers. 
The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows, they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You, O Lord, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out, catch this, for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Remember. Remember. And sing. Hmm. This is the God who can move with saving wrath. Think of this. Think of what is being spoken of here. The enemies of his people were crushed as God rode and accomplished his work. He delivered them. What did they do? Witness it in wonder. A song of Moses in Exodus 15. He's just overwhelmed with joy. He even says in there, the, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. The saving wrath of God. He goes on, You pierced with His own arrows the heads of His warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the, the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. This is poetic language, speaking of God's power over the nations, over creation itself. What's he doing here? What, why is he doing this? What is Habakkuk doing that, that is modeling for us how we should respond when we face trials, enemies, challenges that are far greater than we are? God strengthens our faith in the present as we delight in his powerful work in the past. I think that's what's happening here. Don't forget, people of God, what he has done. He can do this if it's the, the opportunity that brings him the most glory, if it's the, the display and the deliverance that he is accomplishing. No one can stop him from doing as he pleases. And so, if the Babylonians come, they come at his bidding. They come with his approval. And they do only as much as he permits. Just like Job. Think of Job. The challenge that Satan put before Job. Actually, it was God who challenged Satan first. He said, have you considered my man Job? He's righteous and upright, fears me, obeys me. And Satan says, well, it's because you bless him. He said, well, do your worst. But I limit you. I give you this much. You can do these things, but you can't do these things. And out goes Satan to do his worst. Our God is sovereign over evil forces, over armies. He's sovereign over rulers. He's sovereign over the smallest event in your life. He sees it. He knows it. If it happens, it passes through His sovereign will. Now, the place where the book lands. This is a stunningly beautiful place for a book to land. We call this a settled song of reverent praise. It's a settled song. Habakkuk begins his book and he's wound up. He's crying out. 
He's looking out here and all he sees is a mess and, and evil and corruption and darkness and he's crying for judgment. And the book ends in a very different way. He settles his soul. He focuses his gaze. And he sings. He sings. Listen to verse 16. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. It's not wrong to tremble. It's not wrong to, to feel the weight of what is coming. Go to the garden with Jesus. Consider his trembling. Consider his prayer. Consider the sweat that turned to blood as he felt the weight approaching. And like Jesus, bow before the Father. Call to him. I will wait quietly for the day of trouble. I think the quietly there connects to verse 20 of chapter 2. Let all the earth keep silence before him. There is a certain response that Habakkuk shows here that is very similar to the response of Job. At the end of Job, in Job 42, right, where God has addressed him, and Job, as it were, he repents in humility. A quietness, a peace. It doesn't take away the trembling necessarily, but it's, 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 it's a quiet, settled place of focus. Trembling and trusting go hand in hand. They go together because the fear of the Lord is at the very core of it. Trembling and trusting. Think of what may have been flowing in the veins of the prophet at this moment. Think of all that he was focused on in his quiet patience. You are strong and you are able. I know this is true. You've proven it. I know this is true. You are righteous and you are holy. I know this is true. This is true. It's true even in your responses. You're right. This is a deserved wrath. You do what is just, always. You are gracious and you are merciful, and so it's right that we reply, O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. I know that you are gracious. You've shown that grace to me. I, I know it. You're faithful and you're trustworthy. That's also been proven time and again. You are always in absolute control. You are sovereign over the nations. You're sovereign over creation. That has just come out of his lips. Look at how it ends here. I wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Who's that? Babylon. He is quietly waiting because he knows that God sees everything that is about to take place. He sees it. He hears the cries. He sees the injustice. He sees the violence of the sword. He sees all that is happening that is wrong. And so he says, in a sense, you see all and they answer to you. They answer to you. I don't have to be the one that takes upon myself the offenses. I can hand them up to you and know you see all and it will be made right someday. Oh, friends, 
one of the greatest freedoms the gospel brings us is just that. As you have been forgiven, so also you must forgive. How do you forgive? You entrust those offenses to the one who judges justly. And even still then pray, in wrath remember mercy. As you have forgiven me, O Lord, I forgive. I release. They will answer to you. Note down at the very end of the book, in verse 19b, look at what it says. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Don't miss that. That's, that's part of the inspired text, preserved, handed down, purposeful for our benefit. He wrote this portion to be sung by the congregation. Suffering and singing go hand in hand. They go together. They're, they're such a part of what is true and real. And we remind ourselves of all of these things, even in the midst of suffering, by singing. I had the privilege to sit with Bob. It was right before the morphine was kicking in and, and we were able to interact and I asked him about his favorite songs. And all of a sudden, Evie started sharing the words. And I, we were back in the day. I remember those songs. I grew up in a, in a little Baptist church out in the country, Oregon, and, and we sang through those verses and, and shared those words. What else? What other song? Oh, powerful in the midst of of the valley of the shadow of death. Singing and suffering come together, friends. For the believer, we can sing for joy in the shadow of his wings. Then he writes the song. This is the song. Listen to the words of this song. Though the fig tree should not blossom. Well, figs in this day were kind of a luxury. Right? So he begins with kind of the things that would be, well, that's, that's sad. There's no blossoms. That means there's, there's no figs coming. There's no figs. What, is, what does that mean? That's the judgment of God. The Babylonians, they don't, they don't cause the fig tree not to blossom. Right. So this is God's judgment. Okay, Lord, if the fig tree should not blossom, there's no special treats this year. Okay? Nor fruit be on the vines. Well, that could be at the hand of the Babylonians as they came across the land. Or it could be the judgment of God as well. It means there's no wine. Well, we, we can probably do without that if we had to for a year, right? And then it ramps up even more. The produce of the olive fail. Okay, now that we're getting serious now. Now we're talking about light. We're talking about cooking. We're, we're, we're dealing with some major interruption. Cost goes down. Safeway shelves are empty, right? Your garden, look at this. The field's Yield no food. Your garden's dead. Do you feel the, the ramping up of desperation? We got a major problem now. We don't have food. This is an agricultural society. This is the greatest conceivable dire situation. The flocks be cut off from the fold. Well, often when the invading armies would move through, they would see the meat and they would slaughter and they would have a feast until there was no more meat. And guess who went hungry? The people who were powerless against the invading army. So there's no meat, there's no grain, there's no food, there's no vegetables, there's no wine, there's, there, there's, there's no figs. 
and there's no herd in the stalls. That means there's no hope for a crop to come, right? That, that, that means that there's nothing we can do today to change what's coming tomorrow. This is bleak. This is bleak. This is about as bad as it can be. It's when the cargo ships are stuck off the shore. They're, they're empty at Costco, and there's nothing coming in the ports. What are we going to do? This is what we're going to do. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. What is the focus of our joy? What is the, the, the object of our song? The Lord. Who are we locking eyes with? Him. He, he is the one that gives joy. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Goes the song. My feet like the deer. If you're over in Israel, you see these amazing tiny little deer, and those things are courageous. The places they can go, the cliffs that they can cruise across. He says, you are like that, O Lord, when it's scary and everything around me is falling apart. I stand secure in you, come what may. You can make me tread on, on the high places. And so he sings. This is a song that he blesses Judah with in preparation for all hell breaking loose. It is a song that God has blessed us with today. It's the song that I'm calling the anti-prosperity gospel. This is a song Joel Osteen does not know. Okay? And I, I'll just say this. This is a song that's easier to preach than to sing. Isn't it? This is not an easy song. This is a gut-wrenching song. But it's a song of joy. It's a chosen song. It is a song of faith, a song that flows from roots deeply planted in the bedrock of who God is, confidence in the gospel, come what may, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Refiner's fire and holiness. Friends, the Lord has ordained a difficult path for some here. Some of you find yourselves, even coming today was difficult. It was heavy and hard. There are some who just couldn't get here today because their hearts are so heavy. Some who wanted to come and they couldn't because their body's not cooperating. Some who are here, but they're missing someone who's not. All and everything in between. God is good and he is working all things for your good, Christian. His aim is holiness. And when he puts you in the furnace, you can trust him. Trust him. Run into him. Cling to him. Lord, refine me. Grow me. Strengthen my faith in you. Help me. I hold to you. I know you hold me. I trust you. I depend upon you. You are the treasure. Make me holy. Elizabeth Elliot, you might know her. She's the wife of Jim Elliot, who was slain on the mission field 
She says this, our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. The love of God is different. It's of a different nature altogether. It never denies reality. It stands in the teeth of suffering. The love of God did not protect His own Son. The the cross was proof of His love. Think of that. God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then she says this. This is powerful. God will not protect us from anything it takes to make us like His Son. A lot of hammering and chiseling and purification by fire will go into the process. You may be there today. You may be going into the process and you don't even know it today. You need a song. This is equipment for life, my friends. God is good even when we hurt. God is good even when He takes away. Think of Job. The Lord gave, He said. Oh, think of how He must have just shouted these words. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Bless Him. I bless His name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Later on, He says this. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. I want to play a song from Shane and Shane. And uh, John Piper has a little sermon uh, part in here. And I just, let's, let's let this song be the expression of our souls, of our confidence in the God who is good and sovereign and who can employ even pain to bring us into our best good. It's titled, Though He Slay Me. that day 
tear was worth it all Not only is all your affliction momentary, not only is all your affliction light in comparison to eternity and the glory there, but all of it is totally meaningful. Every millisecond of your pain from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience is producing a peculiar glory you will get because of that. I don't care if it was cancer or criticism. I don't care if it was slander or sickness. It wasn't meaningless. It's doing something. It's not meaningless. Of course you can't see what it's doing. Don't look to what is seen. When your mom dies, when your kid dies, when you've got cancer at 40, when a car careens into the sidewalk and takes her out. Don't say, it's meaningless. It's not. It's working for you an eternal weight of glory. Therefore, therefore, do not lose heart. But take these truths and day by day, Focus on them. Preach them to yourself every morning. Get alone with God and preach His Word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for.
parts of ministry that I would never change, but is heavy. It's sharing in the journey of your pain and your hurt and the weight of uh, what has happened to some of you that have been sinned against greatly, the trials of this life, the agony of suffering, dealing with failing bodies, wayward children, the challenges of this life. This is, this is, this is real world. And it's in the midst of that that we journey together as a family. We share in this together. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. And God is right there with us. He's right there in that place with us. With a wing. He says, come here. Come. And sing. Come and sing. Suffering and sovereignty and singing. They come together for the Christian life. They meet us in the power of the gospel when we are weak and broken. He is strong. And we can find a place of joy in Him when everything seems to be a loss. How do we do this? The answer is the theme of the book. We go back to the very core. The righteous shall live by faith. That is the way we live. We trust Him. We trust Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for meeting us where we are weak and showing us Your strength. We thank You for being a God who doesn't wait for us to get all fixed up and, 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 and strong on our own and then try to qualify to be good enough to be received by you. But you, you come, oh Lord, your compassion and kindness, your grace and your mercy, you meet us in the mess of our life. You meet us with power and deliverance and freedom and forgiveness of sin. You bind up our broken hearts and you, you give us an invincible life that death cannot touch. You pull us in and protect us from the great enemy of our souls. You make us your own. You feed us. You walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And we sing for joy in confidence because we fear you, O oh God. What can man do to us? Because of your love, O oh Lord, we win. Even when we hurt, even when it just feels like we can't imagine another day, O oh Lord, you are faithful. You are good. May we be the kind of people who have roots so deep in you, in all that you are, that when the darkest of clouds come our way, we can still sing of the sun.
We know, though it's dark, you are light and you are good and you are working. You are working. Be glorified, God, on the beautiful, clear and sunny days. And be glorified, God, when we hurt and suffer. May we die for your glory. May you be glorified in the way that we groan and cry out for help to you. May the world look upon and say, what is wrong with these people? How do they do this? As we sing, even from the depths of a jail in Philippi, accomplish your good pleasure through an invincible joy that we have in you to find contentment in whatever may come our way. Thank you for all that you are. Oh God, you are glorious and good. We worship in Jesus' name, amen.